This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, or good afternoon, depending on where you're at. And I want to just first say uh, Merry Christmas to all those that are celebrating Christmas. Uh, we are Christmas Eve Eve, if you will. And so uh, the excitement at the DeVoe household is just uh, is amazing right now with the with the little one. She's just stoked about everything that's happening. So I uh, hope that you guys are having this the same the same feeling. And I hope, you know, we'll see you guys uh, also at the New Year's show. But uh, this one's going to be, well, we're going to be a little bit lighthearted a little bit, but first, before we get into that, I want to bring in uh, Dan. Dan. Hey, good morning. So, Dan, you are at a location that, that is undisclosed location um, because I know every once in a while, you know, you have to get away and uh, hide from work, so we won't disclose where you are at. I appreciate that, but I couldn't <laughs> miss joining you today. That's awesome. So I know you have family over there. Everybody, if it gets a little loud over there, that's okay because it's a family vacation and we are uh, all about that for sure. So um, I know that you were going to be going over here a little bit, your Christmas list. I know you have an extensive one. Um, and uh, I'll share it with everybody so they can buy me. So I'll share it to Amazon. I'll share it with everybody. Well, that's a beautiful idea, man. I'm not that smart. I didn't even think about doing that. But before we get into that, right, we do have some content that we want to really discuss. Um, and I'm really excited to have one of the world's experts in urban search and rescue, Joe Hernandez. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, wait, you're, on, you're muted, buddy. Good. There we go. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a wonderful sunny day in South Florida over on Pine Island. Uh, temperatures are in the upper 60s, lower 70s, so... Hopefully we'll have uh, good Christmas weather with it. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know it's funny. It's it's a little chilly here in California. It's raining where I'm at right now, and uh, um, but you know I, I, it's good Christmas weather. I like it to be a little chilly. Put the fireplace on, stuff like that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so Joe, give me just give me a little bit of his, your history. I mean, I I know it. I read it. Um, I just want you to share it because I think it's it's worth going into. Uh sure. Uh, Retired after 30 years in the fire rescue service um, in the city of Miami area. Ended up uh, with the urban search and rescue system, the national response system, when FEMA was deciding what they were going to do after the 1989 earthquake in Palo Alto, California. And FEMA basically was created after that time, the urban search and rescue being an ESF-9 function. Uh, decided that they were going to be training disciplines and how they were going to make up those disciplines and how are we going to have a national response task force from all over the country and several teams and how are they going to respond and how we're going to keep them functioning. So they reached into the fire rescue services, uh, signed MOAs with them, MOUs with them, and decided they were going to take that expertise out of that and go ahead and train them to a further technical stage, uh, give them the equipment that they needed. And then again, also continue on the medical side. We reached also into the hospitals to be able to get physicians that would be able to work with us and do advanced practice within the uh, 
disaster austere environment and the canine handlers sometimes they are civilians and sometimes they're not and every team also travels with a minimum of one or two structural engineers and they again may come out of the civilian and so you're usually out of a big task force of a type one team you're traveling with over 80 individuals coming from all over the place and federal government did a fantastic job on creating that uh, uh, response package and the way to reimburse those agencies that were willing to have those uh, employees respond to those disasters. And so we started uh, back in 1992 with one of our first classes. Wow. I mean, that's, it's amazing that it's, it's funny. It sounds like a long time ago for some people, but it's really just not just a few years ago, right? Realistically, (laughs) you know, yeah, just a little, little different color, facial hair and hair upstairs. I had also a little bit more. And, yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> it's, and, and it's really, it's, it's, it's ironic because you go back to our first disaster, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, basically, 1995. We didn't have cell phones. Right. There were no such thing, basically. Motorola uh, came up and set up a stand so that we could call back home and check in with our loved ones. And, and you remember the big bricks that they gave you to be able to use. And, uh, but nobody carried a cell phone. And so any pictures that were taken... Uh, during events were the old uh, click right. click Instamatic Kodaks that were out there in the market. Uh, ironically, that first disaster was a crime scene. And right. so all pictures were confiscated. Everything was confiscated to try and figure out what was going on later and uh, give them back so that we can create some training venues with what we saw. Yeah, that's, that is, let's talk about technology moving forward. I remember when we had the... Uh our cell phone on our, on our rescue rig. And like the only person who was allowed to touch that was like the captain. And I was like expensive. And it was only, you know, like no one's ordering a pizza with this phone, you know, it's like stuff like that. That was kind of funny. Now everybody throws their throwaway phones. And, and, but the cool part about it is, you, you know, to see the ability to be at the beginning when the technology wasn't there to just, you know, just build stuff out from nothing into to where we are today. And yeah. the, the, the way I know, I know, <clears throat> excuse me. I know that some of the stuff that you guys were using on early on were some of the same things that we used on the heavy rescue side of the, uh, of the, of the house. Um, how did you guys like start taking, like implementing little things from each piece and kind of put it together? What was that, that process as, like? As far as the disciplines uh, that did the work or the equipment, the equipment, the equipment was, uh, it was simple. It came from all the basic agencies that were being used out there and in some of the larger cities and said, what are you using? What are you using? And we formed working groups from within each discipline, i.e. rescue, uh, which involved the tools, equipment, et cetera, what we were going to use. Uh, we're smart and reached out to men in the industry or folks in the industry, men and women, um, that were into heavy concrete cutting, something we didn't even do in heavy technical rescue. We knew we needed to get through poured concrete with rebar and steel uh, with a single cut. And so they reached into the heavy industry with wet saws and here back and learning how to do heavy lifting and crane operations, steel operations and cutting and things like that. And the medical side went a different direction. So we wanted to have the respect of the rescue side. So every medical personnel generally is a rescue specialist as far as training is concerned, reaching the specialist level in all of the different disciplines that's needed to have that qualification and then try to get some additional medical uh, training on that basically what you call austere medicine in the hole bringing the emergency room into that entrapped victim and 
we learned over the years that we can increase survivability by up to 85% by aggressively treating an entrapped victim prior yeah. to extrication. What are, go ahead. Well, I was going to, I was going to bring it back to the, to the cell phone and technology, uh, you know, the, the way we, we do now, or the way you, you said we didn't have cell phones we, we, as far as like the 1995 Oklahoma yeah. bombing, but now the way we have cell phones and technology, just using the cell phone and social media, how you can track uh, before, after, almost like real time, yeah. and you even use cell phone, um, you, the cell phone technology for finding people in, inside rubble. How has that helped, um, and how has that evolved in the way you do things in search and rescue? Good question, Daniel. I'll go back to where it caused the hindrance, seeing the new technology, going back to as we were going, i.e. learning from the 95 bombing, and then we went to another bombing in Puerto Rico, things were always intel. You know how that goes and, and things that were the country was worried about. We were told to be careful on our use of cell phones as they were beginning to be more prolific in our environment and, and with each person. And so going back to the Waco, Texas incident, um, that was a person who had used their telephone to let a loved one know where they were, where they were going um and not knowing where that information would be listened to and or given to another individual therefore finally asking directions on a simple cell phone of where they were at they realized that they were going towards the compound and um that was a lot of ems units and a lot of a lot of law enforcement units heading to that direction and so just giving that information on a newly person who had that cell phone calling somebody on a landline gave away that they needed to get ready for something. It may have caused more uh, death within the law enforcement community that it did knowing that was going on and those that were within the compound themselves. And so now take it to further in today's technology. Um, it is fantastic because if we can get that signal out from within that rubble pile and companies like L3 Harris, et cetera, are working on repeaters within their radio systems to be able to transmit that information out. We learned at ground zero during the World Trade Center events that once we breached the sub-basement floors and begin going two, three, four, five basement, we lost radio communications. There was just no way to make it out. Um, and we've been working on some of the courses, some of the manufacturers, the search cameras and the wireless technology for vital signs monitoring are all trying to get out the door and cell phone technology seems to be one of those resources out there, at least for being able to take pictures and then sending them out. People think you're taking a picture of a victim and or even a medical assessment or for a procedure for a victim. And I'm sharing those pictures with everyone because I want the structural engineer to maybe look behind me and say, what the heck is that crack back there? Holy smokes, we didn't know we had that structural possible failure behind us. So everybody that takes a look at that picture is what I think is, is phenomenal now. Right. You know, one of the things that we have um, on the phones now um, is the ability to, well, not every phone, but uh, with some of the apps is the ability to do uh, mesh networking and an alt uh, alternate reality uh, or AI, I guess, if you will, to be able to see where people are at. And it's just, as long, or at least where the phones are at. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really cool uh, technology um, as well, using the uh, augmented reality, I should say. Um, with with AI, I think that's a, a really great use of the the cell phones and technology there, as well. But and like everything else, though, we can't rely on technology. We have the human factor that 
somebody has to go digging and sure. cutting and and getting in there. Sure. And what what's the toll on the human body? Not not the victims necessarily, but on the rescuers uh, when they get into that. Um, being class A personalities, it already starts from the moment they get the call. Uh, the extra heart rate, uh, the blood pressure, the endorphins, adrenaline that's going through the system. And that continues basically on even after they get home. It also relates to their family as well. Their children are saying, listen, mom, dad, you're going to a place that just fell down. All 14 stories are collapsed and they don't even know if anybody's alive in there. And so that that whole technology carries on to the kids as well, especially Daniel, as you mentioned, uh, the social media event children are not only seeing it at home but hearing it on their TikToks and then back at school and so it's a it's a big mesh of things i.e the the technology caused a little confusion at the surfside collapse building collapse in miami beach back in june where some of the people or a lot of people being elderly had the medical alert and so once those were engaged they continue sending signals and the companies kept calling those landlines and or cell phones of the individuals to check on their their personal right. basis. And so right. thinking that you were hearing phones, et cetera, people thought, oh, my goodness, there's people alive underneath this rubble pile. And so it began even a bigger toll on those rescuers saying we have to get in there. And time is definitely of an essence. And we know that you know, how many days are we going to survive without water and then without food? and without shelter but when a building falls we've got if you're in a bedroom you had a, a lot of different resources in haiti it happened to be a, a a grocery store but can they get to those items or are they entrapped and, and entombed in a certain area that kind of changes things and i think the rescuers uh, uh even though this particular event in surfside was ironic because one of the victims a nine-year-old uh, child was the daughter of one of the city of Miami firefighters who was also mm. a member of the urban search and rescue task force. Uh, the members found that child um, and allowed him to come up and uh, uh, put his coat, take his BDU top and cover off. And so now you begin, do we bring all these people off the pile and give them a 12 hour break? Because functionally they're now, they're basically a, a hazard to themselves in trying to refocus and rework. And, and we made that decision to remove them from that pile for a short period of time. It's probably a good decision. Yeah, on that note, what kind of services are, are available to those who are involved in, in search and rescue, especially when we you know when you think about their mental health, when they're going from a potential recovery, uh, uh, um, or I'm sorry, as a potential rescue, yeah. that transitions into a body recovery. Yeah. And then they, after you're dealing with that, I mean, there is post-traumatic stress and uh, other things. And, and I mean, if you find a family member, I mean, that's that's even more uh, troubling to someone. It can be even troubling to their co-workers and their you know family as well. So what kind of services are available to um, uh, dealing with stress and mental health? There, that has been growing and been gradually increasing to a better state. Uh, the CIS, the critical incident stress debriefing teams that are launched out from some of the major departments and then also from some of the universities are, are very well uh, in tuned. You know, sometimes it always takes somebody who comes from that area or that arena to be able to connect with a person who is in that arena. It's hard for them to see someone and not to to pick on anybody but to see somebody in skinny jeans to come and tell them about an event when they haven't experienced that so they have changed their ways of doing things 
uh, we call it, you know, it's critical incident stress debriefing is when they're able to go to an event, uh, i.e. A, a car crash, uh, an amputation, a, a cardiac arrest, et cetera. But then they go back and they get a reprieve and a, and a, and a timeout. We call it extended critical incident stress debriefing. There is no break. And so you're extended for that entire 7, 10, 14 days of an event, and you're looking at this constantly. We ran into the same issue at the Surfside collapse in 2021 that we did in 1995. So where were the lessons learned? And three of my big lessons were sight, smell, and sound. And those are the triggers, Daniel, as you mentioned. What are we doing about it? Well, what are the triggers? And sight, smell, and sound are huge for being able to stir those uh, certain parameters within our bodies. And the Oklahoma City was the first one. And so when they built a break room, uh, Montgomery County built the first break room. As everybody took a break and rehab for a little bit, they had to stare at the building. And so, like you said, they just wanted to get back to work and it wasn't really a good break. And so they were within the sight, smell and sound of that of that building. And so at Surfside building collapse, they found a close base of operation location. It was hard ground fenced in and boy, our disaster was right here. They, they put their base of operations there. So people that tried to sleep during the evening time because they did run an Alpha Bravo uh, shift. They had people walking by the smell of the of the burning continue underneath um, the sounds of the equipment being used allowed them no rest and so as you said even maybe with the talks uh, the counseling that was going on throughout the event did it really sink in uh, should they have just all said what are you feeling should we just move this entire base of operations further away to give them a, a break and also every time the media was showing the building, they also showed the responders. And so everybody said, wow, they're really close. And they're so close that if that building does come down, it could affect them. And sure enough, they had to move them because it was so close to that second building. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we need to take in consideration uh, when we're setting these things up of of the mental health and, and what it means. And and you're right. I mean, like those of us that that, that do this for a living, uh, we we want to be in the mix, you know. I mean, it's sort of what what we train, what we do, and it's it's uh, forcing people for that break is is critical, you know. Kind of going along those lines is don't forget about the continued um, continued help that's out there. And I think some one of the things that we do poorly is once somebody's out of the system, they retire, they go, you know, wherever they we there's that 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 circle of help is no longer there. Um, and uh, we're still losing, um, you know, firefighters, police officers, military guys uh, to suicide uh, due to the fact that there's no uh, support structure there yeah. for them. And yeah. I think it's a critical that we that we look into that. And it's they're not only losing them, Todd, uh, on a regular basis, we're now losing them faster than they are being lost on the job. And so it's not on the duty deaths that are the highest now. It's the suicide attempts. Going back to res rescuers and responders, Danny, when you brought it up about help, we remember the uh, the baby J Jessica, the baby that fell into the well and yeah. the Texas firefighter who committed suicide based on that event. I have a very good friend. His name is Chris Fields. He is the uh, the icon of the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, he was a firefighter at the time. 
and he was pictured holding a baby who was placed in his arms by a law enforcement officer in his bunker coat and his red helmet. And uh, Chris, now um, still married to this day with two grown sons, um, was influential in uh, starting a uh, a group called Trauma Behind the Badge. Uh, they work with a lot of individuals. We're starting something called Trauma Timeout. Uh, as you said, Daniel, it, this stuff is is we need more of it. Uh, Todd, you said it's inf it's very influential in people's lives, and I agree a hundred percent. I spoke with someone in Canada, and they altered what we do here in the U.S. And I fell in love with their strategy. And that when they do a post surveillance, they don't call Joe Hernandez and say, "Hey, man." How you doing this week? I know you came back and you guys hit the nursery and just want to check on you. They don't call me. They call my spouse. Mm -hmm. They ask her, hey, how's Joe doing? How's he making out? Oh, he's been a pistol. He's been throwing things around. He's been angry at the kids. He's never lifted a hand at the kids this time. You know, those kind of things. And so now we know, hey, that's a trigger. That's a big, we, we need to do something about this. Yeah, the other day I was writing a paper um, just uh, on workplace violence and uh man it 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 turned something onto my head from one of the calls i went to and i just kept seeing like it was like the the images of that day were just flipping through my head the entire time i was doing that and i didn't really have to take this i had to take a mental break on that one and just sort of sort of step back it was it, it's crazy how these things just pop back into your head tw years years after this is nothing that happened yesterday you know what i mean so sure absolutely Hey, Joe, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, well, Santa Claus. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. All right. Hey, hey, Dan. Yes, sir. Talk a little bit about what we're doing over at the, um, at the Crisis Cafe. Well, as I should say, we are now called the Leaders Cafe. What are we doing? Yeah, so uh, for all those who follow us on Crisis Cafe or haven't yet um, come to sign up for us yet, we are making a small transition to more of a leadership-focused um, uh, avenue. So we're going to be um, concentrated. There's still going to be some emergency management, emergency preparedness talk, of course. That's who we are. That's what we do. But it's also going to be a strong emphasis on leadership, different types of leadership, how you can become a better leader, training, uh, incorporating, and actually engaging with us as leaders um, and actually being able to um, be, be a part of the conversation on being better at what we do. So uh, go join us at Crest Cafe. It's in the, it's in the link mark leaders-cafe.mn.co backslash feed. That's us a lot. We'll put that in the show notes uh, for you as well. Go, go sign up for us. There's going to be a free level and a paid level. Um, of course, the paid level will have access to more, uh, more of us, more leadership uh, training, more leadership discussions and potentially masterminds as well. Absolutely, Dan. Thank you so much for that because I think it's one of those things that um, as emergency managers, we have to remember that we are in leadership positions and we need to sharpen that saw when it comes to our skill set, when it comes to leaders. So please join us at Leaders Cafe and love to see you there. And uh, let's bring Joe back into the into the picture. Hey. That, that is beautiful. What? <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. I love that. I, I should have a hat. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> there I, you go. I do not have a stocking cap. I have to, uh, I, I, I'm bad for this. All right. So yeah. it is Christmas time. 
Yes, and so uh, one of the things we love to do is make lists, right, and checking them twice, and and we're going to find out who's been a good, naughty, or nice uh, emergency manager. And uh, <laughs> let's let's start with Grumpy Claus up there at the top drinking his co- coffee. Daniel, what is on your Christmas list, and what would you like to see for emergency managers across the world? Well, on my Christmas list is actually more. It's a, their tactical cases, carrying cases. Use them for um, you can use them for weapons, of course. But my goal would be using them for our uh, podcasting and communications equipment that I plan on uh, taking with me as I travel across the United States as we do the show, EM Weekly, EM Student, uh, and we work on the Leaders Cafe so that we could uh, potentially reach more people and uh, do more shows remotely. So they're tactical carrying cases that you could fit our equipment in as we as we move around the country or even uh, hopefully soon uh, internationally as we can do some shows and, and work remotely. As what I want to see for the EEM industry, I want to see more out more forward facing EEMs. I want to see more people out there. It's one of the reasons why I jumped on uh, the you know moving moving uh, Crisis Cafe into Leaders Cafe is because we need more leadership. Leader leadership isn't isn't authority. It's influence, and we need to be able to influence people from wherever we happen to lie within an organization, whether we're at the bottom, the middle, or at the top. Uh, and we are seeing more more positions opening up at the top of organizations related to emergency management and public safety. Uh, but what I want to see is more more EMs uh, step up into leadership, in, into influence, and make our our profession uh, more in the light. Show people what we do, how we do it, why we do it, and how they can help us do it. Joe, what is your what's on your Christmas list? Oh, my Christmas list is getting fulfilled, and it's uh, fulfilling my what I call my gold sword, which is family. Family first. My silver sword being what I did for a living and what I continue to do for a living. And so I do have my uh, my son and my daughter along with their families heading this way, and uh, it's going to be an absolute wonderful Christmas uh, through New Year. And as a family tradition. Our tradition as Cubans is we roast a pig. And so we'll be roasting a, a pig and also a turkey inside the same thing. We call it a china box. Uh, it's an all-day cooking affair. And uh, it's when you have five grandkids here in the house uh, it, it, jumping in the pool, it's going to be a lot of fun. And so I'm ecstatic. My wife is ecstatic. And uh, continued health with my wife of 41 years. I'm on my way because I really sounds like really yummy you know, roasted pig right there, and uh, I'll yeah. be jumping on a flight here in a minute. So I'll see you, <laughs> see you in a couple hours there, Joe. Thanks for the invite. Um, yeah. Always welcome. <laughs> Dan, so, it's not Easter, man. No, but this but this hat is amazing, and I wanted to show it off because you know you could you can have some fun with it, but you know I, I want to get if I'm happy. <laughs> I can say kind of happy. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> this is a family-friendly show, Dan. This yeah. is a family-friendly show. It's a, it's an amazing uh, hat. I wanted to show it off. I got it uh, just for the show. Just fantastic. So <laughs> that is freaking fantastic, Dan. You must <laughs> like our governor, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so. For- for for the Debo household, same thing. We just it's we're just happy to be here together as a family. Um, you know, we're we're gonna spend. Um, we so I'm married into a, a my wife is Mexican, 
and wow. we do Christmas on Christmas wow. Eve. Correct. So the family all gets together. Uh, we open up some gifts on Christmas Eve as a family. It's always a great tradition. Uh, always a lot of fun. And then um, Christmas Day, it's kind of we just get, kind of home. So on 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 my list, and and first we'll start with on the emergency manager side. I, I would really love to see more uh, professional emergency managers come out um, and and get educated uh, and and trained properly um, in the field, and to see more original research coming out uh, from the academic side on what it is to be uh, in emergency management, what we do. Uh, you, you know, as I'm working on my dissertation right now, and man, I'm telling you, finding some specific emergency management um, research has been it's been kind of difficult. So I'd love to see more of that. That that'd be a great Christmas gift of all, so I could find yeah. everything I need to know as far as that and and some of this. And then the other side of it too is really building that emergency management leadership community. I think we're doing that, and uh, those are the two things that are on my on my Christmas list dan Fantastic. your hat is just killing me man yeah i love it man that's <laughs> that's why i said with that hat he's got to be a friend of my governor <laughs> in the great state of florida i agree a hundred percent i want to talk to you later on about the emergency management program and what we see with response on the esf9 function with the new emac program and it basically becoming a, a, a grocery store of resources at one time. And then a, uh, some grocery stores are, have lower prices than others. And so uh, how does that affect our communities? And, and is it affecting our communities? Will it affect our, our communities? Is there any gross negligence there from that side of the fence and requesting an asset further away that might be cheaper right. um, to respond? And so we're watching lots of stuff changing in, in, in the field. I loved having John Scardina out to the actual training exercises so he could see what goes on within the different environments. Mm -hmm. And we would love to have you out there one time. We'll be, we'll be out West soon, uh, traveling the country with a couple of those courses. And Daniel, as you said, bringing the podcast right to the rubble pile. <laughs> That's what our intent is. So fantastic. That's great stuff. And Joe, hey, what you know, I know that you have a podcast that you have started. Uh, talk about that a little bit and we'll get you, we'll let you close it out with that. Sure. Um, we started uh, this podcast called Solid Responder. Um, it falls in with uh, a solid responder as an organization that does uh, equipment and, and uh, pursues particular equipment that is built specifically for the response community. Um, we are able to, uh, augment and bring in folks from all over the medical special operations community, MSOC being a part of the solid responder podcast. And our intent is to bring those that are uh, responding on a daily basis, weekly basis, yearly basis to as an ESF nine function and or ESF eight, depending on where they come out of and their normal day, every day uh, function as either a firefighter, paramedic, uh, hazmat, technician and or a physician or even a canine handler uh, that brings all of those disciplines together and talking about the highlights and the uh, unfortunates that they have seen throughout the different events and uh, being able to bring up that next generation that we need to be able to follow in those same footsteps and hopefully it won't take a disaster to bring that out yeah absolutely yeah Joe, thank you so much for spending time with yeah. with us today. Thank you for your service over the years, and and um, and for 
the sacrifice that your family has gone through as, as a gold star family. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, our, I can't say enough on that. And it's just, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you. Pleasure to talk to you, Todd, and you too, Daniel. Very good to see us to hang out with us as we say goodbye and we'll come back and, and say goodbye properly. You got it, brother. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, uh, the holidays are coming up and we try to make it as light as possible. Um, and I, I think it's important. Dan, I want to say thank you again for, for uh, spending time with me through this year. Uh, and and uh, I just hope that everything is, is great for you and your family this holiday season. It's always a pleasure uh, to, to spend this time with you, Todd. I, I, I look forward to it every week. Uh, and I do um, I do thank you for allowing me to to take part in uh, your show and uh, you're in, in talking with your guests and, and, and having the exchange with you and being involved in in our journey towards uh, improving the EM profession, but also our friendship, man. So I just thank you and uh, Merry Christmas on that front uh, for all those who are listening. Merry Christmas. If we don't get to see you, Happy New Year um, and uh, follow us on uh, LinkedIn, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. Uh, Give us positive reviews. Uh, communicate with us. Let us know what you want to hear, what you want to see, uh, so that we could we can engage with you more properly. Absolutely, hey everybody. Merry Christmas, and stay safe and stay hydrated.